When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Impact Theory Podcast, your source of empowering ideas and actionable techniques from the world's highest achievers. Join host Tom Bilyeu, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of the billion-dollar brand Quest Nutrition, on a journey to unlock your potential and realize your vision of success. Welcome to Impact Theory. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of After Impact. I'm your host, Tom Bilyeu, and I am here with the as-discussed enlightened Agent Smith. Mr. Bilyeu. What's up, dude? How's it going? It's going very well. Thank you very much. Good. And we were talking about your enlightenment as a surfer, as a cold water enthusiast. I am. I believe in the cold water. Yes. Yeah. Not Amazing. too cold. I mean, we're still in Southern California, so it's not that bad. Yes. It's not like... Oregon. Surfing, fair, fair. Cold. Growing up in Washington, it literally feels like you're being stabbed when you put like even your feet in the water. It's yeah. crazy cold. Yeah, that's a whole different level. Yeah, right I'd rather, rather not. We're talking about Brendan Burchard on After Impact today. Yes. This is the show where we unpack the impact of this week's episode. So um, this one felt like a milestone for, for me, at least, just because Brendan is someone we've been following for a long time, love his content, love what he does. And I know we've been trying to get him on the show for a long time. Mm. Certain people that we've kind of been hunting for a yeah. while. And so to finally like see him here, get him on stage, it, it's always, it's, it's very gratifying. Definitely. And he is an insanely nice guy. Yeah. Like insanely nice. And I told the story in the episode of when he and I first met, that was not an exaggeration. I was so like, it's one of those where if he hadn't said my name, I'd be like, oh, he's thinking of someone else. Like he was so warm and kind and like literally within no BS 60 seconds of meeting him. He was like offering advice and telling me like, hey, you're doing such a great job. And you know, like if I can ever help. And it was really, really crazy. I was just like, yeah, I'd never gone from, I've never met somebody to feeling like this person actually cares and wants to help me faster than with Brendan. It was crazy. It literally made me think like, that's how you greet somebody. And I get it from the outside. Maybe it seems over the top because he was literally like both arms in the air, like Tom, Tom, Bill, you. <coughs> it was crazy. Yeah, I remember you told me about that after it happened, and you were still just kind of blown away. Yeah. Like, yelling at you. It, it makes you feel seen. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Like Because you when, didn't know that he knew you. I didn't know that he had any yeah. idea who I was. Yeah. So at 30 yards to recognize me and then be screaming my name with both hands in the air and... I, <laughs> And look, maybe that doesn't work for some people, but it worked for me. Like I was really touched and just thought, wow, man, like what a kind and generous greeting. Yeah. And saying Brendan is energetic may be an understatement. A wild understatement, yeah. And I actually want to kick off with a question around that. So one of the big things he talks about in the episode is that you have to generate energy and create joy and create the feeling that you're trying to achieve yourself. You can't wait for it to happen. Um, I know you're a big believer in this, and I feel like you've been saying it from the jump. So I want to ask, 
when did you start to understand this principle in your life? Wow, that's a great question. I, I don't know. I don't remember any sort of uh, very clear moment where it was like, oh, okay, now I need to turn it on. Mm -hmm. um, but as I'm answering the question, it goes back to performing on stage as a stand-up comic where the, the way that I used to deal with my anxiety was I would push my personality out. That's how I always thought of it mm -hmm. is... And what I mean by that is I would go big, like I would dial everything up. I would talk louder. I would talk faster. I would move my arms more. Yeah. Right. So it was to really go in and fill a space to be that energy. And because it literally felt like flipping a switch, it was binary. It was off and then it was on. And then I would do it very consciously right as I was stepping on stage mm -hmm. as a way to deal with that sense of like, nigh panic right yeah so and for a long time and and this started really and a lot of times i i shorthand when i say stand-up comedy i'm really talking about even like speech and debate back in high school where i was doing what was called humorous interpretation uh oh man anybody out there yeah. that did the speech did you do that i didn't do so i did a thing that was called oral language in okay elementary school and it was you would either you'd either write a piece or you'd memorize a piece like a in short grade school yeah the Baco school system's yeah. legit, dude. So I would do humorous interpretation, and I would—I'd never wrote anything that on my is own, amazing. but I would perform other people's like, you know, comical short stories. I'm like dumbfounded right yeah. now. Do you remember grade school? I want to say that one more time. You're like yeah. nine. So I was in fourth grade. Whoa. And we, my t we so we did it as a uh, it was called verse choir. You do it as a group. And we won the county, I think, when I was... Wait, this grade. is a performance? Uh, like uh, a competition? Yeah, yeah. And you go from your what school to the district to regional to the county. And it, Whoa. Like, yeah, it's a whole thing. Baco just taken over. <laughs> That's a, yeah. I literally had no idea that was something that people did in grade school. I didn't yeah. get onto that until... Well, I started drama in middle school, but didn't get into speech and debate until high school. Yeah. Wow. I kind of stopped doing it then, though. So that's, I picked that's, it up. Yeah. And it became like my... Thing. And so cool. in, in all of that, learning to push my personality out was I, the beginning. It didn't seem like it at the time. I don't want to like think, make it sound like I was so self-aware. Like back then it was just like, I'm about to perform. Oh God, what do I do? And then it was like, basically I thought of it as pretending to be like super big and confident. And then in, in that, it just actually happens for you. Mm -hmm. And now obviously I can explain it from a neurological perspective, but then I couldn't. I just knew it worked. And I went from like, the the irony for me is the only thing that, that makes me like really anxious is the thought of seeming anxious, where you can hear the quiver in the voice and all that shit that I, oh, drives me nuts. And so I remember thinking, this is absurd. I'm nervous about being nervous. Like that, that's the only thing that like I'm actually afraid of is coming across like I'm anxious. So the way that I found to combat that was that. And that was, it felt like flipping a switch in my head, which made me realize, okay, you can create this stuff. So later, as I really get into self-development, I realized, okay, there, you have control, like conscious control over a lot of stuff. And it seems like it works both ways. Like uh, energy begets energy, anxiety begets anxiety. 100%. Yeah, it's and anxiety is a death spiral. Yeah. Just as you're saying, energy, like if you come in and bring energy into the room, then people begin to like be infected by that energy and then it reflects back on you. And so it's this virtuous cycle. So there really are like the um, self-reinforcing negative 
feedback loops and then there's the positive feedback loops. And so being very careful, and this is why who you hang around with matters and the ideas that you think matter because they just reinforce and stack on each other. Definitely. So Brendan gave some strategies in the episode um, for creating energy. One is uh, breathing and movement that he talks about in detail. And the other one is uh, a form of cupping where you're sort of patting your, mm. your body. Um, other than sort of that mental switch that you're talking about, do you have any other strategies like for when you're going on stage, for instance, to, to give a talk? 100%. I, I meditate straight up. Mm -hmm. So that diaphragm breathing, diaphragm yeah. breathing to me is, is the mojo. It is the answer. It is the thing that takes you out of the sympathetic nervous system into the parasympathetic. I was just listening to a Rod, Rob Wolf podcast today, and he was interviewing a breathing specialist, which I didn't even know was a thing. And she says, oh, everybody's like, oh, here we go. Somebody that's like, there's enough about breathing to teach me something. And as she's talking, I'm like, oh my God. Like it really made me think there's, so I've talked a lot about its ability to flip that switch from sympathetic to parasympathetic. But I mean, the, the, the lengths that she goes through talking about like, um, all the different ways that people can end up having breathing problems and that there's actually a disease, I forget, there's a three-letter acronym for it for people that have whatever. Often it's smoking, but she said not always. Sometimes it's just people have learned to breathe shallow their entire life. Mm -hmm. And because of that, they're, they're overdeveloping these muscles. And she talked about people that are barrel-chested and we think about them looking really strong and powerful. And she said that's part of the problem because they are anything but, and it's actually they're developing um, like this dysregulated breathing so much. And they're using all the like smaller muscles around the chest cavity to like get that high shoulder heaving breath, which is a terrible way to breathe because it leaves you in the sympathetic nervous system. And I was just like, man, even breathing, like you can write books about how to get better and all of its effects and all of that. And it really did make me think. So one of the things that, and I know I'm derailing here, but one of the things that as we're going through all this issue with Lisa's microbiome is they told her to meditate while she eats and that she needs to focus on her breathing while she eats. And I was like, just do everything they say. That sounds a little crazy, but like, just do everything yeah. they say. Right. And Lisa was like, actually does help. Yeah. And I was like, why would that help? Like, I, I, I can sort of make up a feedback loop between, okay, you're getting into the sympathetic or the parasympathetic nervous system, which is sending the signal to your gut to calm. I and mean, we all know, like, if you get really nervous, you need to use the restroom. Yeah. So like, there clearly is something going on, but I was like, wow, even just like breathing differently when you eat, it's crazy, huge impact. So for me, that's it. So when I'm about to walk on stage, um, I, I, right before I go on, I sit down and I meditate. And then when they grab you and they have you wait at the edge of the stage, right before they announce my name, I'm doing diaphragm breathing. And this is so ironic. And I'm just going to go deep for a second. So I'm the king of the intros. Yeah. Yeah. I like put a ton of pride in that and I yeah, work really hard. You're great. Nothing makes me more anxious than someone else doing an intro for me. Oh, really? When they're like reading it and they're building up this hype and I'm like, oh fuck. Like I would much rather people be like, hey everybody, thank you for coming. And without further ado, Tom Billy. Right. right. So that I don't have time to like, yeah. you know, build up in myself that like, oh yeah, Jesus, I'm about to talk. And it's so funny to me how when I know I'm about to have to talk, nothing makes me more anxious. Like if I just jump in and even I'm like surprised yeah. that, oh, I'm going to interject here, no anxiety whatsoever. But as they're like, and the 2014 second fastest growing company in North yeah, America, yeah. you know, it's like, the oh God, the anticipation is building. So 
in in that process while they're doing that i'm diaphragm breathing and and just getting calm so that the and then power posing works really well like actually okay. standing yeah. broader putting your shoulders back head up um all of those things are deceptively simple and incredibly powerful that's awesome do you ever think about the anxiety you're causing the guests who come on the show when you write your intros very rarely to be honest and but then so you know and and i think that it's ended up being seamless in the episodes thank god because we're not filming live but we've had a few guests where it's like uh oh like they're deer in headlights mm -hmm. for the first like five or six minutes and it takes and in in those moments all i'm trying to do is like relax them and i'm sending like the vibes <laughs> and i literally will send like actually and i'm not a guy that like is all like chakras and vibe and all that shit but like dude in, i'm at all but in every like the way i'm holding my face my yeah. own posture how i'm modulating my voice like if they're getting tense first of all i i don't do the like really intense like ah I'm like, oh yeah, like yeah. really just trying to help them calm down. Compliment. That's good. As you were talking about that, I've, I've been trying to diaphragm breathe. Nice. Oh. That's good. <laughs> it's like, oh God. Isn't it weird how it works though? Yeah, sometimes it's, I think you don't notice that you're not diaphragm breathing. For you're sure. Just, yeah. Anyway. And will you let me derail a little bit? And I'm yeah, sorry to steal the light please. from Brendan for a second. But oh, so right. this Rob Wolf um, <clears throat> podcast, unfortunately, I forget her name, but go check it out. Rob Wolf breathing. I'm sure it will pop up. And she talks about why we've learned to breathe up high. And the answer is so on the money. I was like, oh, my God, that is so true. Do you know why people breathe up high? I have a guess. Let's hear it. Does it have to do... It from a ma male perspective, does it have to do with like trying to show masculinity, like puffing up like an animal? That's not what she says. Okay. Although something tells me that's actually really interesting as well and could feed into that's it. That's what animals do, right? A lot of animals like they puff Well, she like, said, birds yes. Yeah. But she said there is no animal that you'll ever see consciously breathing up high. They all breathe down low. And, yeah. I, and as she was saying that, I was thinking about my dogs and they for sure, like just yeah. diaphragm, diaphragm all day, every day. She said, what animal do you see breathe and shrug their shoulders at the same time, which is what we do. And she said, it's partly because people are worried about looking fat. And I was like, oh my God, that is so true. Because yeah. when you breathe from your midsection, like you, push your you stomach out. literally pooch your stomach out. Yeah. And as somebody, when I was a teenager, all I did was hold in my stomach. Did I ever tell you that story? I feel like you've mentioned it. Before. I used to think it was invisible that I was a little bit chubby because I always sucked my gut in. Like always. Yeah. And standing, sitting, didn't matter. I always had my stomach in and I just judged by whether I felt like it was pushing my shirt out or not. What I didn't realize, of course, is my weakness is love handles. So I can suck my gut in all day <laughs> long, homie. And I've still got the love handles just pushing the hell out of the shirt on the, you know, the sides and the back. So I thought it was invisible until this one, after I had lost a bunch of weight, this girl that knew me in high school was like, whoa, I always thought of you as a chubby kid. And I was like, say what? <laughs> like, hold, stop the roll. You yeah. thought of me as a chubby kid? She was like, yeah. I was like, I thought it was invisible. She's like, no, sorry. <laughs> that's so amazing. anyway, that's a great story. That's breathing for you. All right, let's bring you back to Brendan. Um, he uh, talks about the difference, and this was you know, where the title was coming from for this episode, but he talks about the difference between passion and obsession. A lot of people have passion, but very few people are obsessed. And I think he said in their study of high performers, they identified um, many high performers have this obsession. So my first question on that is, 
Do you think everyone needs to have an obsession? No. Okay. But you, you didn't give me any frame. You didn't frame it. You just said, does everybody need obsession? Absolutely not. Okay. Who, does, who needs obsession? If you want to be great, if you want to be a linchpin, if you want to be um, remembered, if you want to have global impact, you're, you're going to have to be obsessed. And the more I do... So here's the most fascinating thing about impact theory, the social content, Tom Bilyeu as a brand, are the, the 10 questions that I get asked the most and what they reveal about society at large. And one of the things that they reveal is people don't know what they want. Mm. People don't have a passion. Yeah. And that, the number, like when I do an AMA, it's basically just filtering through to make sure that we only ask that question once or twice in the hour because it's, it's no bullshit. Like what would you say, 40% of the questions are some variation of how do I find my passion? Um, I don't have a passion. How right. do you know what you want? Like um, it, it just over and over and over and over and over. Like it's crazy. Basically, people saying, I want to be excited about something and I'm not excited about yeah. it right now. And the worst part is they won't even put that word to it because excitement is is revealing itself to be the answer to so many of those questions, right? Mm -hmm. So I lay in bed for hours on end. Why? Like, how do I overcome it? Um, I really want to be successful, but I start doing something and then I stop. Why? The answer is you're not fucking excited. Mm -hmm. You're not amped up about something. And so why, like, obsession matters a lot, dude. And this is one of those things that, like, for... Not everybody needs it, and, and I, I say that only because I look out at the sea of humanity that isn't excited, doesn't have a passion, clearly not obsessed about anything, and I think I'm, I am liberated by Ray Dalio's words where he says, I don't know that being obsessed and striving to achieve at the highest level is actually better than wanting a relaxed, chilled life. I just know that given my disposition, it was my only option. And I was like, that is so fucking true for me. You don't have to tell me to be excited. You don't have to tell me to create passions in my life. I, it, is, it is my drug of choice, okay? It is not my natural setting. I wanna, I wanna be really clear about that. I was the guy in his early 20s that just laid in bed for hours and hours and hours because I wasn't excited, because I was terrified, because I was anxious, like all of that was true. But once I realized, okay, I can build this into my life, I, I have become obsessed, obsessed. And that obsession, being obsessed is my narcotic of choice. Yeah. It is so invigorating. It, it, it allows me to dominate a room. It allows me to learn faster. It allows me to get people to pay attention to me. It allows me to paint a vision that other people wanna crawl inside. I was just having a talk with Lisa about this yesterday. My fucking superpower. I can create a vision. Other people want to live inside of it. Mm -hmm. And I come in and I paint this in it. Look, I get it's also my weakness. It's my kryptonite. It's why people don't give me the feedback that I want. Because they're so busy living inside of my vision. They're so busy being intimidated by my energy that it's like, they don't know how, like, they're almost afraid that even just dissenting means that they can't live in my vision anymore. So, and, and that, is horrific and I've got to find a solution for that. But so anyway, like it, that obsession is, it fills me with joy, with energy, with excitement. Like it is, it is the juice. And 
uh, I, I, I'm going to stop here, but understand I could do the rest of the hour just on obsession and how important it is to, if you want to succeed at the highest level, you will not, it, it would be like, um, adding muscle without ever eating protein. It's never going to happen. Just fucking embrace it. You're never, ever, ever, ever going to achieve at the highest levels unless you are obsessed, unless success is, is an absolute must. It is not a want. It is a need that haunts you morning, noon, and night. When it comes to platforms that will help you run a business, there is no shortage of options on the market. But if you want to use the best, most advanced, and most efficient platform out there, you need to be using Shopify. For whatever and wherever you want to sell, from launching to going international, Shopify is the global commerce platform that will help you grow at every stage of your business. With award-winning customer service, the internet's highest converting checkout page, and a suite of integrated AI tools, Tools, Shopify is your all-in-one platform to quickly and efficiently take your business to the next level. I love everything about Shopify because it makes it so easy to start, run, and grow a business. Shopify powers more than 10% of all U.S. e-commerce because businesses that want to grow quickly use Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash impact, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash impact right now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash impact. In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you want to have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. If getting your hands dirty and taking good care of your car or cars is a passion of yours, then eBay Motors is here for the ride because I'm sure you remember when you first saw the potential in that beauty. And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly with ebay motors brake kits led headlights exhaust kits turbochargers bumpers whatever your baby needs ebay motors 
has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I love it. That's great. All right. That answers the question. Uh, Switching now over to what Brendan said about identity. Um, He said that you know, a lot of people say you shouldn't attach your identity to your efforts because if you're saying I'm a great public speaker, you go out there and fail, then that can set you back um, psychologically. But then high performers often do. I feel like there is a danger in either of those paths. So I want to first get your thoughts on that. Do you think you should do one or the other? And then if, if, you, if you think it's a balancing act, like how do you walk that line? It's not a balancing act. So this, Brendan, oddly enough, is a slightly controversial character. And I think it's because his energy level is so big. Yeah. And I think that that may turn some people off. But people dude, he's disingenuous. Or something. Maybe, yeah. maybe. And he's not, not, so not at all. Yeah. And, and the fact these two back to back are re like reminding me how good his book is. Mm. Like, and I just got the chills. So because like he goes into what you actually need to do. Like he wrote the book from a perspective of, and, and he's so full of like warmth and genuine desire to see other people succeed. But he just fucking says it. Like, look, we've done a ton of research. This is what comes out. Like I didn't expect it. I didn't want it to be true. Like for instance, creativity is not associated with success. I certainly didn't see that coming. He didn't see that coming. He says, people fight me on it all the time. He's like, I'm just looking at the fucking data. Uh, like, what do you want me to say? And this, this is one of those where common wisdom tells you, do not associate, don't tie your identity up in your success because if you fail, it will, it will be dangerous because now you can have a collapse of your, your ego, a collapse of your identity. And for somebody that even mildly flirts with depression, you're in real trouble. And you do see this in the real world where people like their, their entire sense of being collapses under the weight of a failure and they're never able to get back up. And that's why I say what you build your self-esteem around matters. Now, Tying your identity up in your success is critical. You have to do it. Otherwise, you will not be successful. Period. End of story. This is like obsession. Like, if you don't have it, it is a critical piece of the puzzle. And hearing him talk about it, it was like, I was just blown away, dude. I was like, he put his finger on something that is so, so, so important. And I I had never even thought about how much I just willingly throw my identity into success. So one thing that was very important to me, and, and Jared, do you know how cocky I feel about how many points I'll be able to point back at the website and go, we launched that website in, did we do it at the end of 2016? I think it was live in 2016, right? No, I, no. not was, till 2017. It wasn't live until January 4th. You rat bastard. All right. So anyway, 2017 day one, we put out on the website exactly what we were going to do. We said, it's a three-phase approach. Here are the things that we're going to do. We're going to build a studio bigger than Disney. I started saying it out loud right from the jump. And the, the odds of us failing are a hundred times, a thousand times more than the odds of us succeeding. But I knew I won't succeed unless I back myself against the wall, mm-hmm. unless 
everything that I am, everything that I'm saying, if I'm totally unabashed about saying, this is what we're doing. And I hope that there is an army of people out there that doubt that we will pull this off. And when, when we do, Mr. Smith, when we do, we'll be able to point back and say, like babe fucking Ruth, we called our shot the very first time we stepped up to the plate. That's awesome. And is that something that helps motivate you? Thinking through that fantasy? For sure. And it's not even so much thinking through the fantasy. It's in the context of this question, it's knowing that a failure would be so embarrassing because I've extended myself so far. And when I tell people, let failure completely catch you off guard, this is what I'm talking about. Like, I, I don't think about, okay, how do I position it? If we don't win, like if this goes wrong, how am I gonna handle that from like a PR perspective? I'm like, motherfucker, we are winning. And I'm just thinking about all the things we need to do to actually execute against that and win. Because I'm not saying like, don't, don't plan for failure in the sense that don't think about all the things you have to execute on perfectly. Don't find the path. Don't do all the things you need to do to ensure that you win. I'm saying don't sit there and like plan for when it goes wrong, how am I going to handle it? That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like we've got to be ultra strategic. We've got to recognize this is a very complicated chess match that we're playing, right? And that we're going to have to evolve all the time. So I'm always thinking about what we have to do. I don't think it's going to happen automatically. I think it is blood, sweat, and tears. I think we've got to learn, research, try, fail, assess, feel the pain. I think that's a big one, right? Ray Dalio's math equation. Um, pain plus reflection equals progress. I think that we have to feel the pain, live in it, understand why we fucked up on something, reflect on it, figure out what we did wrong, really assess, mm -hmm. and then... That's your only hope of progress. But I, I will be utterly caught off guard by how to respond to the failure if that were to happen because I don't think anything about it. That's awesome. Can you break down really quickly because I like your, your concept of there's a difference between identity and then what you build your self-esteem around. And I think that's a nice way to kind of navigate those things that we were talking about. Yeah, so self-esteem is I'm going to allow myself to feel good about something. Identity is who you really are becoming. So um, my identity is that of the learner. And I take great pride in being willing to stare at my inadequacies. But it, the pride and the esteem is built around something that is a willingness to do something versus who I am. Um, and there, look, there's a lot of overlap and the way that the two feed into each other, but identity I use to control my behavior. So I'm the type of person that, so I'm the type of person that is willing to stare at his, at his inadequacies. I'm the type of person that goes to the gym every day, even though I hate it. I'm the type of person that eats right, even though I really want to eat rock and roll cookies. If you know what those are, Christmas oh. makes me think about those. Um, so yeah, the, the building your self-esteem, I think is is the most important part. I think it's more important than identity because it's, it's just more foundational. I think everybody has to feel good about themselves. And I think that people do the most bizarre mental gyrations to feel good about themselves. There's an entire, um, it's not a structure in the brain. I'm sure it's tied to a structure, but a network, for lack of a better word, called the psychological immune system. It's self-delusion, just said very plainly. It's how you lie to yourself to recover, to see yourself in a positive light again after mm -hmm. a failure or whatever. Um, 
very powerful and I'm very, very grateful for it, but it can also stop you from pushing and progressing. So um, really learning how to switch your identity from feeling good, feeling smart, feeling right, which is where most people gravitate. And I don't know if that's just the natural predilection or if that's what our society tells us to do. But if you can move away from that to being the learner, to being willing to admit when you're wrong and, and feeling pride around those things so that you are self-congratulatory every time you stare at your weaknesses. Because by the way, it does not feel good. So you have to find a way to feel good about the fact that you can embrace pain, right? It's a very David Goggins type thing to say, the very thing that makes me proud of myself is my willingness to suffer. So in my suffering, I am my most proud. Once people can understand how to do that and that there are these little micro things that you can do every day, all day, and now let's tie it into obsession. The thing that I do every day, all day is I drop my ego and I ask a fundamental question. Do I, am I doing the right thing now to actually build this studio or not? And this is the thing that, so you know, I'm on an a, absolute fucking crusade right now to change the, um, the internal um, uh, culture here at Impact Theory to one of radical candor. And I don't think it's gonna be easy. But once people understand how empowering that is, once you understand what you're fucking up, you can make a change and get better. But if you're blind to it, you won't change it. And so Lisa and I have started employing this in our marriage secretly behind closed doors. Dude, it's, it is amazing. And you want to talk about somebody that I felt like I was always being like candid with, but there, there's just another gear. When you say this is like, this is one of the core, let's say three values of our marriage is like aggressive, radical candor. It's like, whoa, this is so fucking helpful. It's crazy. But you've really got to learn to love to actually get a positive chemical state out of staring at the things you're not good at. That's awesome. Are you guys going to talk about that on relationship theory? Um, we should. I think we probably need to explore it more right now. I mean, look, if she's open, I'm always happy to fumble through things, but I don't think we have clarity on it yet. Yeah. I certainly, like, I, I feel that I am particularly bad, and th- this is ironic, right? So think about um, the things that I used to pride myself on, and then to get to the next level, you have to realize you're actually broken at those things. So I used to think I can read people better than just about anybody else. And then I realized, well, to get to the next level, all I can look at is how shitty I actually am at it and then find the people who are like really elite at that stuff and go to them. So um, maybe I'm better than some people, but I've, I've just had to come to realize you're, you're just not good enough. And so spending time being proud of your ability to read people is holding you back. I used to think that I was immeasurably good at creating company culture. And then I just had to realize company culture is not where I want it to be. It's nobody's fault but my own. So I'm clearly not as good as I thought I was. So I have to break that in myself. So rather than, and those are the, the same things, being smart, being good, being talented. It's like, those are all death traps. And so allowing myself to be proud of an ability to create company culture was a mistake. And so now I have to realize that, nope, just as I've been saying this whole time, it's about learning, learning, learning. So going into Dalio's book, Principles, and going, man, I'm, I'm gonna learn from this. Like, but to learn from it first, I have to say, yeah, I'm actually not as good as I wanna be at this thing. So how do I now get better? And so I don't think I'm an expert at, um, you know, using radical candor yet. I think that maybe I'll get there, but I think it's gonna take a lot of time. So Lisa and I are sort of fumbling through it, but it, for me, and I won't speak for her, I'm actually really interested to hear her thoughts. For me, it is, it is a deep and intense intoxication at 
like just really getting raw feedback about who I am really, like where are my blind spots? What are the things I'm unable to see? And coming into it totally defenseless. And then also from our marriage perspective to just be like without, I'm not trying to be mean, but without needing to like couch or position, like we, our objective in this conversation is to get to truth. That's what we keep repeating. So the objective of this conversation is not to make you feel good or make me feel good. It is to get to truth. And once we're at truth, then we can say, okay, how do we move forward? Mm. And that's, that is a deeply intoxicating process for me. That's awesome. Now we're at the part of the episode where I'm going to read some comments from YouTube. Nice. So this one is from Johan974. He says, first Ty Lopez and now Brendan Burchard, two of my <laughs> least favorite personal development people. You're really testing me, Tom. All right, all right. As for Ty's video, I will go into this video with an open mind and ready to be changed like a true theorist. I think he means impactivist. I think he does. And but I love theorists as well. So I'm going to let, I'll let the community like. use those interchangeably. Um, dude, that, that's so on the money. Like that really tells me that he gets it right. Yeah. And it's like, I always tell people, meet people with compassion and understanding, but there's one thing that pisses me off. And that is when people are looking for a way to shut somebody down that they could learn from. The fact that people want to dismiss Ty Lopez because they don't agree with his, um, marketing methods. Come on, man. Like you can, you can shut anyone down that you want, but if Ted Bundy had something to offer me, I would listen. I would say, yeah, I'm not going to kill people. That doesn't jive with me. Um, I'm not going to be a sociopath and lie about everything. That doesn't work for me either. Oh, but this one nugget of gold that he has, like that's interesting and that's actually empowering. And I'm going to take that. So I, I just, I, I literally don't understand why people are looking for reasons to not listen. The fuck are you doing? Like, I'm looking for every reason to listen. Mm. Look, look, there, there are, I'm not a fan of Trump. I'll, I'll just say that. I'm not a political guy, so I feel totally ignorant, so I don't speak up about this a lot. But like, it doesn't resonate with me. But if he had, like, if he said something that I was like, oh, that's actually really powerful, I would separate that from the messenger. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't understand, like, why people are just, I just want to, they, they want to discount somebody. They want to feel superior to them. And I mean, when I say I don't understand, I, I get the base impulse of, oh, it makes you feel smug and smart and better and all that. And that feels good. I get it. But like, once you want to learn, once you understand how far you can take your life and how you can close your eyes, imagine a world, open them and actually make that world come true, that why you would ever try to like not listen, like, oh man, this, that, that really bothers me. And so if you ever meet me and you say something like, oh, so-and-so is an asshole and I don't want to listen, I'm not even going to watch that episode, I'll be kind to you. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking you're fucked because until you get past that, it's such an ignorant place to live. Until you get past that, you just, you're holding yourself back. Right. Got this comment from Prince Razik. Thanks, Tom. I've been dealing with depression and being hopeless on myself. But watching this video, I learned momentum matters. This is all, all in caps. Momentum matters. Small, little, small wins daily breeds hope and confidence. Honor the struggle. Again, thanks, Tom and Brendan for the show. I love Brendan's comment about honor the struggle. That's pretty dope. Like, I think if people, if they're really in a state of depression and they can understand, like, hey, there is a way through this. And that's what the big thing I hope anybody going through depression understands. It, because the chemistry is real, 
it feels utterly hopeless. It feels like you will never get out of that, but it is just a chemical state. And if you do the things you need to do to alter it, whether that's work with a doctor to get medication, whether that's eating right, exercising, and working with a doctor, I mean, whatever, there, there is always a way to change your brain chemistry, always. So focusing on that and understanding, okay, I'm gonna honor my struggle, I'm gonna accept that this is gonna be really hard, but on the other side of that is something tremendous and feeling good again. And um, if they just knew that going into it, that this is a process and to honor that, um, I think that they'd have an easier time. Have you ever read, I'm sure you have, uh, Obstacle is the Way? Very much so, Ryan Holiday. Yeah, that's what it reminds me of. Just lean into the obstacle. Yeah. yeah. This uh, comment is from Gabrielle Angel Lily. I'm so excited to see Brendan doing Qigong. I believe that's the... The cupping thing, yeah, yeah, where you pat yourself. And patting the meridians. This is part of my morning priming routine. Even if I miss everything else, that makes such a huge difference in my energy and well-being all day. Fuck yes. Nice. Um, well, first, I want to acknowledge that she comments so much, and her comments are always great, that yeah. I can like picture her... Um, Little avatar. Avatar, yeah. yeah. And so if people ever wonder, um, like if they're going in and commenting consistently makes them really an embedded part of this community, it does. I mean, there's, so, there's probably, I don't know, 100 to 150 people, and that's also what's known as Dunbar's number, which is probably why I guesstimate it's that. Um, that I really feel like I know, like I can sort of anticipate how they'll comment. And, um, so I'm not able to respond to every comment, but I, dude, I read the vast majority of the comments that come in, um, and try to respond to, to a gaggle. But so I'm super stoked to hear her say that. And then I've never done that. So I, um, I don't know if it's real. I don't know if it works, but I'm stoked if she's getting value out of it. That's awesome. Yeah, it's rad. All right, I have a question around performance necessity. This is another thing that Brendan listed as um, important to reaching success as a high performer. Um, you have to more than want something, you have to need it. And he told the story of when he saw his girlfriend at the time, who's now his wife, um, sleeping underneath his bills, essentially. He was like, I, I want to be a writer, but now I need to be a writer in order to make some money. And that's when he found his success. So I want to ask, what is your necessity for creating impact theory? Wow, man. Every now and then you'll ask me a question. I just want to like hug you and thank you um, because it, it's, it's so meaningful to me to talk about this. So um, I am, I, Jared, I am haunted. I am legitimately haunted. Like I can actually feel some part of me getting emotional right now because I am haunted by in one of the multiverses, if that's real, I don't really think about it, but like the notion of in some alternate timeline, I never found a growth mindset and what I would have become and how I would have been depressed because I got really close. And it was only, and unfortunately, Carol Dweck's book didn't exist at that time, but beginning to cobble together these notions that, you know, a human can um, change and adapt. And, and when I first started researching the brain, it was hotly debated whether brain plasticity was real. And I chose to believe that it was. But what if I had said, oh man, this, it probably isn't real. And, and I'm just not that smart and I'm never gonna get better and I'm never gonna be the filmmaker that I wanna be and I'm just not meant to be one of those successful people and stayed lost. I'm, I'm terrified of what my life would have looked like because the human animal is a chemical processing plant and the chemicals I was processing made me feel terrible about myself and it was such an unhappy place to be and it felt so shitty so 
as I was going through and learning this stuff and starting to really, so the first thing was I wasn't making more money. I was just feeling better about myself and, and being really excited about my future. The way that like a 12 year old is excited about their future, I was excited about my future. Again, it's like a 20 something. And I started thinking, this really works, man. And I want to like, I want to help other people. And it became very clear that proselytizing actually doesn't help. And so as, as I got happier and was enjoying my life more and realized I was capable of actually manifesting things in the real world, that I could hear the quote from Steve Jobs, that the world, look at the things you admire most in the world and realize that they were created by somebody no smarter than you, like that I could really believe that and look at a skyscraper and go, if I wanted to, I could build those. Um, that if I wanted to be a world leader, I could be a world leader. If I wanted to be a filmmaker, I could be a filmmaker, right? And it's about a path of learning and growing and all that. As, as I got excited. And then as that excitement manifested itself as worldly success. And suddenly I was, you know, the, the wealthiest person that, that I knew, like, I mean, it was like surreal. I had gone through this like crazy transformation and I just thought, I want to help other people with this, like, but in a way that doesn't raise their defenses in a way that doesn't turn me into a manic street preacher in a way that is, just value creation where I can build a big business because I'm, I am incredibly selfish. Like all of this is driven, like it makes me feel good to help people, which is why I want to do it. But it's about me at the end of the day, right? If it made me feel badly about myself, I wouldn't do it. So it makes me feel great about myself. I love that I've built this unique skill set that I think will serve other people. And that sense of being haunted by what would have happened to me because I've worked with so many people in the inner cities and I know what's happening to millions of people like it's, it's a spectrum so the millions of people that grow up hard but then it's the same thing just a different set of problems all the way up to people that grow up with wealth but now they feel like they can never be anything because they don't have to overcome obstacles and all that right so i really feel like potential and actuating that potential is like what we're individually meant to do and then i think is going to be my gift to other people and I just want to see how many people can I give that gift to? And then what happens to the world? Because really, really think about it for a second. If right now, let's say the world has, I don't know, five or six Elon Musk type people, right? That, that just not only are succeeding at the highest level, but are able to inspire other people to do the same. What would happen? Really think about it. If you'll give me that there's five-ish of those in the world, mm -hmm. What would happen if there were a thousand of them? What would happen if there were 5,000 of them? And I think that that's very possible. And mm -hmm. so it's what I call mining for astronauts. Not everybody's gonna do it, I get that. I don't need it to be an everybody kind of thing, but like if we can really reach people that would otherwise not do as much with their life and help them really do something tangible that then is in the world beyond just ideas, but is actually in the world in the form of physical goods or in our case, a studio that creates entertainment that helps people build a belief system that will allow them to go do this stuff. Like real things that people can interact with. That, that is just, if I fail at that, but I spend every day trying to do that, that will be an awesome life for me. So that's like my must. That is the, the just aching necessity. And so look, even as I'm telling this story, there are three people for that I think very specifically about. Um, I won't, I've talked about one of them a lot, Rashawn. Um, I won't give his last name, 
And there are three others that almost certainly all three of them will be mentioned in the book that I'm writing right now. Um, and so you'll understand why their stories captured me so much and why I really, really, really hoped that I could help them and do something amazing. And they've sort of had varying degrees of success. Um, but yeah, like meeting people that really, really struggle profoundly, like has, has changed me forever. That's great. Okay. Um, going back to, you just mentioned the time when you were kind of struggling, bordering on depression. Um, you know, Brendan in this episode talks about, you know, people in a situation like that need to get momentum and get small wins. So in that period of your life, what are some of the things you did to get some small wins? Do you remember? Oh, yeah. So um, going to the gym has always been big. And that was probably the first thing where I began to realize, whoa, like you can change your body. And this was a lot of this was going on right as I was leading up to meeting Lisa and I was just really, really terrible at getting laid. And, and, and look, uh, I'm sure some people will judge me that that was even a value for me, but that was. And it was like really important to me and I was really bad at it. And so finally I was like, okay, I want to, I really want to figure out how this works. And I remember going and asking this, because my whole thing has always been go, go find somebody who's done it at least once, right? So I happened to work with this guy that was just like really good with women and he was really good looking. So, but like, I can only control that so much. And so I went to him and I said, dude, like, what is the secret? And I forget his exact words, but he was like, be a jerk basically. And I was like, that's so fucking cliche. Like yeah. I, I cannot bear that that's true, but that was me shutting him down. And I was like, I went to this guy because he's getting the results that I want. Why not listen to him? So I'm not prepared to be a jerk, but what, what does he mean by that? Because he doesn't mean go make fun of, like he can't. Yeah. He can't mean put them down. And, and so I just started really thinking about, this is the most cliche answer is like assholes get the girls and like be a jerk and all that. So I'm like, what is the underlying truth? Like what is the thing that from an evolutionary perspective would lead women to be attracted to guys that fit sort of vaguely in this notion. And the obvious answer was confidence. Mm. And I was like, his whole thing about being a jerk, it's not actually being a jerk, because I watch him and he's really charismatic. So he's not being mean to people. So what he meant was he didn't give a shit. Like if you like him or not, he doesn't care. Like he's gonna be himself. Mm -hmm. And if you like who he is, awesome. And if you don't, so much tough luck. So it is entirely possible that he actually turned off more women than he turned on. But the ones that he turned on, he turned them on so much that he had a chance. Right. And so I thought, wow, like really being yourself, being aggressively yourself, being confident in who you are, not worrying about pleasing people, but just really like being comfortable in who you are. And so that sent me to the gym. And because I wasn't happy with who I was and I didn't just want to fake it. And I wanted to see how much I could change myself. And so that drove me to the gym. That was a micro win every day. And I was just like, I started to actually feel confident. And then I worried less about what other people thought because I was putting in the work. And so I thought, yeah, like 
I'm feeling good about myself because objectively I'm doing something hard. I'm suffering. I'm not eating something I want to eat. Like I'm really doing things that in and of myself make me feel good about myself. And therefore, I don't give a shit if you're pleased with me or not. I know who I am. I know my willingness to suffer. I know my discipline. I know how hard I'm willing to push. I know the focus. I know my willingness to learn, like all of this stuff. And so then, then I began to exude that. And then women started to be attracted. And then it was like, I really couldn't believe how well it worked. And so that's why the gym and eating are the two things I always come back to with people. Like if you, from a micro win perspective, mm -hmm. if you get those, you're gonna earn credibility with yourself. You're gonna earn confidence with yourself. It's not, you're not beholden with on anyone else. Doesn't matter if you're good looking or not. None of it fucking matters. Doesn't even matter if you're, if you uh, are well-learned or anything, just do you get those micro wins every day? Do you show up when you say you're gonna show up? Do you make the hard choices when the easy choice is very um, present? And if you do, like if you do that consistently, you, you will become confident. You will gain respect for yourself. Everything else will start to get in line. But I really think diet and exercise, those are the starting points. That's great. So we're, we're coming up on the end of the year. And this is a time when people reflect, they usually want to make some kind of change in the new year. Um, some people might want to make a dramatic change. So a person in that situation, if you were to give them three things they need to work on in the new year to get small wins. So gym, diet, what's one more? Um, well, so this is maybe a little too high level and I'd, I'd prefer to give you something really tactical, but at a high level, what are you building your self-esteem around? Seriously, like really answer that question. Look at your behavior. Behavior will tell you the answer. So like me, I was arguing for ideas just because they were mine, even when I knew they weren't the right answer. Um, so that'll tell you what you actually want. If you can switch your self-esteem around to being the learner, um, to being willing to admit when you're wrong, that's, that's huge and just super foundational. Um, using identity to get a behavior is a good one. So if they've got a new year's resolution and they're worried they're not going to stick with it. Um, just highly tactically say, I'm the type of person that, so tell all of your friends, tell all of your family, because it'll be really embarrassing if you fail. So going back to Brendan's thing about tying your identity to what you're trying to achieve. So tie your identity to it, whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. And it, just most people, once they start saying out loud, especially if they're saying it really aggressively and telling a lot of people, telling anyone who will listen, repeating it over and over, um, even letting people in on where they failed on it and um, what they learned from that and how they're going to get back up and keep pushing, um, that, that is really big. Congruence, like having to be yeah. congruent with what you say. Um, that Those, yeah, between diet, exercise, and then I'm the type of person that, like people nice. ought to be able to get some pretty big wins. So... When you asked um, Brendan what's type of or what's the impact he wants to have on the world, he said that um, you know the way he figures that out is he has this concept of asking himself what are the questions that he wants to ask himself on his deathbed essentially, and then how would he answer those? Love that. So I want to ask you, at the end of your life, if you're looking backwards, what what are the things you would ask yourself. You know, it's interesting. I, I think that that is um, a fool's errand to think about your life from that perspective. And I think it's become the de facto way to think about your life today is how will I judge this when I'm in a totally different part of my life. I'm in a totally different mindset. I know that the end is near. You're, you're not going to see your life the same way. And mm -hmm. so, um, for instance, I was just talking about this today in the AMA. 
I know when I'm on my deathbed that I'll regret not having kids because in that moment to be surrounded by loved ones would be incredibly powerful. And so if all goes according to plan, like I will have outlived my parents. Um, so they're not going to be there with me on my deathbed. I will almost certainly have outlived Lisa. Um, just because I'm, I am, I hope she lives forever as well. But like when it comes to just really fucking making, um, lifestyle choices optimized for eternity. Um, I, you know, I really want to live forever and, and I'm just making choices around that all the time. So it is entirely possible that I am fully alone on my deathbed. And so I don't want to have said at that point, like, Oh, I wish that I had kids. And then to make a choice now where I don't want kids now, and I don't want the distraction and I don't want something taking my time and energy. Um, I know what I want to build. I know what I want to create and bring to the world. And so I judge myself now today through the lens of how I view the world now today. Mm -hmm. So being a good person, using my skill set to help other people, um, playing to win, holding myself to a ridiculously high standard, being all in with the things that I pursue. Like that's my value system today. And it makes me feel good today. And so when I'm, you know, 170 and you see what I did there? Uh, And I'm on my deathbed. A um, couple of uh, brain implants in there. Of course, yeah. of course. Microchips. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I want to look back and say at every phase of my life, was, was I authentic to who I wanted to be? Did I maximize my skill set? Did I really go in on, on actuating my potential in service of something that I believe was humanity positive and that I really, really enjoyed? That's great. Those are good questions. Uh, last question for you. What do you think is next for Brendan Burchard? That's interesting. So he laid out that he wants to be the best, um, God, what did he call it? Coach? I think it was coach. It doesn't yeah. feel quite right, but that was certainly Online the sentiment. coach? Yeah, something like that. And, and I think that he is well positioned to become exactly that. And I think if he keeps going on the path that he's going with the passion, energy, and commitment that he has, that he could really eat that game alive. And I think Tony Robbins is like the, the pinnacle right now. And I, eventually he's going to have to not pass the torch. He's either going to pass it or it's going to be taken from him. And I think Brendan is, is poised to be that person. So it'll be very interesting to see if he sees that through. He's certainly completely committed to it. If he can read the situation well enough, I think people have to reinvent themselves all the time. So will he be able to do that? Um, but I mean, this guy like speaks to stadiums full of people. It's crazy. So yeah, I, th- I think he's amazing. I think his advice is real. I think his book um, high performance habits, which by the way, we don't make any, uh, maybe Amazon affiliate links, full disclosure. Um, but I'm not hyping his book because I think I'm going to get rich off of it. I'm hyping his book because I actually thought it was good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, I, he's got a shot. Nice. All right. Well, that's it for after impact today. Awesome guys. Thank you so much for joining us. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and until next time, my friends be legendary. Take care. 
everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.